Welcome to Beyond Your Imagination, a podcast that celebrates the kick-ass DIY spirit of independent film. I'm Chris Martin, and my co-conspirator this season is Ryan Erlinson of Marble Mountain Films. There are two big questions that inform this episode. First, when we trace back the mythological lineage of our modern stories, where in time do we end up? And second, will modern audiences accept and believe old stories? if told in new ways. Ryan and I explore these questions along with where ideas come from, starting with our shared love for concept albums and music videos. Additionally, Ryan shares stories of collaborating with writers on his latest film projects and what is missing in a 40-page feature film script. Come on into the cabin, it's nice and toasty, with the kerosene heater cranking out the heat. But be advised, Ryan and I like to use a lot of colorful words and phrases throughout the conversation, and naturally, I blame the fumes. Walk the thin line. That's right. Oh, that's a Queensryche song. Do you remember that one from Empire? No. I, I wasn't huge into the Empire album, just Mind Crime. Yeah, that's brilliant. Brilliant album on that one. Um, their live crime... I think I had the VHS, dual VHS. Ooh, it was nice. nice back then. Hi-fi. There was something about those old VHS concert videos. Oh, yeah. Because they looked amazing because they were shot on film. Right. And then downgraded, obviously, to VHS. Right. Chopped off the sides. Yeah, I remember Kiss had a live one, but they filmed it in 60p, I think, because it had that look oh, of really? 60p. Didn't have the film. I like the film look Back ones. in the day? Yeah, 84. Wow. What, what would have shot at 60p in 84? I don't know. It was either 30 or something. I'm thinking 60, though. It looked like sports. Or maybe Gene Simmons just overcranked it. <laughs> <laughs> it was like 11 cameras or something. It's pretty cool. <laughs> That's kind of like the ACDC Live at Donington video. Oh, yeah. That's all shot on film, and then they have a helicopter right. flying over the venue. And, That's I mean, awesome. It's, it's epic. Yeah, it's interesting too. You mentioned like Mind Crime by Queensryche or Empire. And it's interesting how there's a lot of old concept albums that are in some ways are kind of like a foundation for modern storytelling. Right. Yeah, I don't know if you did I ever mention the Eagles Desperado? Yeah, I didn't okay. realize that was a concept album. Yeah, the old Western one. That was really fun. It all ties together and it has the. Uh, mm-hmm. The intro and the reprise and all that. Yeah. It's really cool if you liked Eagle stuff. Yeah. Why, why do you think music is one of those venues where they go there? I mean, is it, is it just because there's so many drugs and alcohol <laughs> and that's <laughs> what they're thinking of? Whoa, man, wouldn't it be amazing if we come back around at the end of the album and reprise it? Right. Like that. We'll have to get into that for a second, but the whole Pink Floyd, Wizard of Oz thing, <laughs> which they deny, of course. They go, right. we're not that clever. <laughs> to come up with something like that. I think they like that uh, storytelling, probably, mm-hmm. but in a format where it's like a one big story. Yeah. Is that what you think, too, maybe on those? I think so. I mean, it's. I would imagine when you're writing a concept album, it naturally breaks up into sections and chapters just naturally because of the way... Yeah. I mean, they had a hard deadline basically not deadline but like a hard parameter of like a cd held right you know, an saw, hour right. and 10 minutes yeah i forgot about that they actually had limits to the yeah. cds and so if they were doing a one disc concept album versus a two disc i mean that's how much time they had to tell the story right 
and I don't even know. There's got to be a connection with uh, music and filmmaking because we both mm-hmm. love music and filmmaking. So, yeah. well, that's actually what got me interested in filmmaking were music videos. Oh yeah, um, for that's me a short film. it was U two. Oh really? Uh, back in their, I would say like '90s era, they did a lot of collaboration with a filmmaker named Anton Corbin. Okay, uh, amazing photographer, but he also dabbled in filmmaking too. Did a lot of stuff with Depeche Mode as well. Okay, did he and, shoot some of their videos? Yeah. Oh wow! And and just amazing. They worked with Vim Vendors, I think. But um, I mean, they they collaborated with some amazing European filmmakers that. Uh, from my perspective, this was my first time seeing something like that. And I'm like, I want to do that. Right. Um, and that's then, probably what, other than Star Wars, that probably piqued my interest would mm-hmm. be some of the, when MTV came out. Yeah. Cause it wasn't just the images I imagined, but the story, right? Yeah. Even if it didn't make any sense at all, <laughs> which are a lot of 80, 80s videos. Right. There's like, some that are like, what is this? <laughs> the the music video for Metallica's Until It Sleeps is one of those videos where you're just like, okay, obviously the elephant in the room is there's a lot of drugs going on here, but <laughs> you know, it's a pretty fucked up. I music think the video. first time I really paid attention to Met- Metallica's music video is probably with the Black Album, I think. Yeah. Well, that was when they only did a, a their first music video was their fourth album. Oh, okay. They wow. didn't do music videos their first three albums. They adamantly refused. That's interesting. I didn't know that. And so their first music video is where they got Johnny Got His Gun. I think that's what it's called. Uh, and they intercut it with the song One. Yeah, that's I, pretty intense. Song. Yeah, yeah. The, that really got me, that whole song and the concept mm-hmm. of that. But that was their first music video. Oh, wow. And they, okay. I believe they own the rights to that film now. Oh, good. <laughs> Yeah, that one really hits you hard on that one. I think that's with a guy with no arms, no legs, and yeah. stuff. Yeah, that one's no yeah. way to communicate. Right, that just hits you hard on that mm-hmm. one for sure. I remember that. I was like, man, that's just a, that's horrible. So, and then the um, the other Unforgiven mm-hmm. was really cool. Yeah, story there, black and white. Yeah, real vibe. Yeah, totally. Not I wonder just if, uh, uh, yeah. Some of those directors I've looked up actually just to see if I can recognize their other work. You know. Mm-hmm. I think that was Matt Mahurin. Okay. I believe. Yeah, and I don't know the guy. I know we were talking about Queensryche earlier, but they had a couple, and he's still doing music videos. I looked him up recently. Oh, that's cool. The, um, you know the cover song that the uh, Disturbed did? Sound of Silence? Yeah. Okay, he I did think that? he shot that one. Nice. So That was a cool cover. Yeah, I thought it was good. Even Paul Simon was like, this is, this is awesome. <laughs> that's <laughs> always old. good when he praises it. Right. It's like, yeah, you guys did a great job. So I read, yeah, I found some real stuff. It's hard to find legit stuff yeah. on the internet as far as, is this really what they said, you know? Cause right. There's so, much, there's so much, so many lies. And then with AI coming up. Well, the thing about, I think, music video is it's a visual storytelling medium with the auditory sound as well. Yeah. But then when you transcend into filmmaking, you know, you're you're having to come up with legit words at that point, <laughs> you know, and, and the storytelling structure, three acts, right. A certain number of scenes, you know, per act. I mean, beginning, middle and end. Kind yeah, of thing. yeah. I mean, that has to be pretty overwhelming. Did you take creative writing in college? No. Okay. No, I, that I was the only one I, that's the only class I enjoyed. Yeah. Uh, I, well, I don't, I didn't like following rules, so I probably wouldn't have enjoyed a creative writing class right. because I probably would have been in no man's land. Arch, this was long ago. This was long ago. Cause I remember the instructor was a chain smoker. <laughs> <laughs> I 
and he was going through five or six cigarettes on the break. Oh, interesting. But he had a lot of story, great stories to tell. He was getting his stuff uh, published, and he was selling oh, his stories, actually. Where where was he finding his stories? Just, just from, in life experience, I think. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm sure he's <laughs> been dead from lung cancer. But. Well, if he's chain-smoking five or six at a 20-minute break. That was 30 years ago. So Yeah, do the math. Yeah. That's a lot of cigarettes. It is. <laughs> Yeah, 30 years ago, that was Clark College. Wow. Mm-hmm. Things, the rules have changed now. You have to be, tw- what, 25 feet away from the door or whatever? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. and I had a psychology teacher, and she was kind of a whacked out, hippie kind of gal. Yeah. She had one cigarette behind her ear and one in her mouth kind of thing. She was a chain smoker as well. Oh, wow. Probably because of all the psychology stuff she had to teach. It was just bizarre from, oh, yeah. From, you know, different worldview for sure and some mm-hmm. of that stuff. Well, I mean, you look at a lot of films and there is definitely a root in psychology, like abnormal psychology or even just like Freud and Jung, their dream analysis is a great place to just get some fucked up (laughs) story ideas. Oh, yeah, for sure. I've never seen uh, Clockwork Orange, have you? No, I haven't, though. Oh, you have it? Yeah. You've never watched it? Yeah. I have it on a three-pack with 2001 and then The Shining. Oh, okay. That's an interesting three-pack. <laughs> well, it was because I, back when like Chase did points on your card. Oh, yeah. And you could like get DVDs and Blu-rays. Oh, cool. With the points. And so I would just go into the, their system and be like, ooh, that looks like a cool three-pack. Yeah. I've seen 2001 Sp- a Space Odyssey, but it's one of those... Ooh, it's a long film. Yeah, feels like I fell asleep on that one a few times. The Shining, I've actually never seen the full movie, just scenes from it. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure why I missed that one, but it's a classic. I know that. And I think that's one of the first films they used Steadicam on, possibly. I believe so, yeah. Yeah, that and Ro- the first Rocky movie, I think. Yeah. So so when when you're looking to write a, f- a film, where do you start? Probably with airplanes. It's a good place to start. <laughs> <laughs> I think the first thing I do, an idea will come to me, and then I'll try to write, I'll write it down. Just to get a little story and see if it if it'll work, you know, because mm-hmm. there's a lot. As you know, I send you it's a lot of ideas. Like when you when you say an idea, like just a few lines sometimes, yeah. just an idea. Like we were talking about that, um, you know that bo- that prayer box that's in the woods by my house. Mm-hmm. It's like there's there's a story there for sure. It's like who checks it, what's in it, mm-hmm. you know that kind of thing. I'm curious because it's locked with a big padlock. <laughs> And, you know, then there's stuff in it because I've tried to shine the flashlight in it. It's like, oh, this would be cool if some kids went in here and, you know, there's some demonic thing. Maybe it's not really a prayer box, but a mm-hmm. portal like you suggested. So, yeah. I think it just starts with just an idea, just a spark. And then I kind of try to figure it out and if I can work it out into what would happen, you know, the different plot points and stuff, and then figure out if there's enough there mm-hmm. for a full, like a short film or maybe it's a feature film type of thing. Like, how do you know? Is it just from experience where you know you need X number of plot points f- for the film? Or is yeah, it more of just like you're, you're going to know if you've got a two-page synopsis? Right. A lot of times it's like, oh, I need a, some collaboration on this one. I've got the general. A lot mm-hmm. of times that's what my best stuff is, is just a little bit, a few scenes maybe. But then I need somebody else to come along and help probably with the rest of the story. Mm-hmm. Seems to be. So that's why I'll pitch them to you and... Yeah. Because I know you'll get back to me on stuff. Um, <laughs> well, generally with questions. Right. Because that's I, always good. You got to yeah. ask questions. Well, I'm, like, I'm, always I no idea. I'm always looking for 
for me, those curiosity pieces of like what causes people to do something. Right. Motivation or the lack of motivation. Those are always the interesting things for me. I think the worst thing I can do, like last night, I was like, man, there's a movie done just about everything. Mm-hmm. So that's, I got to steer clear of that mindset. Yeah. And say, well, let's make something a little bit different, you know? And, right. Because everything I think about, if I think of a cabin movie, well, there's been a million. And then that book I was telling you about, <laughs> right. Called The Cabin in the Woods. And there's been a movie called <laughs> Cabin in the Woods. And then all that's, you know, tons of things. But it's like, I guess people still want to watch new things. Right. So, well, I mean, I think people still want to watch old things too, yeah. or derivative things, or your take on the thing. Right. Uh, and I think that's why we're all chasing this form of storytelling because, mm-hmm. you know, you don't really know until you get to the end like, right. what the product is going to be. I think the right way to, th- you know, think of it is like, well, there's never something exactly the same thing as you're going to do. Right. And there's always a new take on it too, I think. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. people keep coming back. Obviously, they would never go to the movie. It's like, oh, I've already seen a movie <laughs> like that before. Yeah, I, I think that it can be so easy to get defeated when you're writing. Yeah. Because it's like, it's so easy to write now where you can just, you have unlimited space. Right. You have unlimited ideas, essentially. And depending on how you feel about AI, like the thing I said mm-hmm. yesterday, I typed in a couple of, well, I copied a couple of lines from the book. It was a blurb about the book, and I want to say, let's see what AI comes up with. And then mm-hmm. I sent you that, and it was like 10 times longer than what I'd given it. <laughs> right. But it had some interesting ideas in it. Yeah. And that's where I think you as the creator, the writer, gets to then play with it and be shape it into something. Yeah, completely right. Because they gave us some ideas, you know, just even if they're ideas, I don't think I would ever film something verbatim for what I came up with, because it'll write screenplays <laughs> for you. <laughs> But I think with ideas, you know, we were like, oh, yeah, what's this line? What's this mean? You know, and mm-hmm. you sent me back a couple of questions. They got me thinking about it. And it's like, oh, this is some cool stuff. Um, I think I'm drawn to more of those psychological movies probably in some ways. Mm-hmm. Although, although, of course, last night we were talking about road movies. Right. Because I'm like, I guess I've seen a ton of these road movies. <laughs> yeah. But there's still a bunch I've never seen before either. <laughs> what if the cabin is on a trailer right. driving <laughs> through the Midwest? There's something about, I think you probably like this too, because you've been over in Eastern Oregon for jobs and stuff, haven't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something about that open space. It's like, this is a yeah. road This is a road movie here somewhere, you know, with abandoned. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I was talking about my wife's grandma has an old ranch that's at like a thousand acres. Oh, wow. Yeah. So... That thing's pretty much abandoned. The rats have taken it over. But now that the family owns it, Wendy's sister got mm-hmm. half of it. It's something that's like, oh, we could be, th- we could think that over, you know, and something. Yeah. Because I don't know. I love the wide open spaces sometimes of those road movies, you know. They break yeah. down, stop by, and something happens. I'm still still hooked on that idea. <laughs> I remember when I was a kid, we drove, my dad and I drove to Nebraska. Oh, cool. And so, you know, out I-80 through Wyoming. Right. And like, there's one rest stop at the beginning of Wyoming and one at the end. Right, so and no gotta, speed limit in between, probably. Oh, right, it's, it was it was hell on wheels, man. Yeah, road warrior style. <clears throat> oh, totally. <laughs> but I remember stopping in this this dive bar to go to the bathroom, and it's just like, you know, condom machine on the wall in a town of eight, <laughs> and it's just like no one's fucking enough to need a condom machine in this. In this <laughs> right, town. there's nobody around. <laughs> but I mean, even those recipes. Those are recipes, ingredients for a recipe right there. Were you Just, doing any filmmaking back then? No, I was like in middle school. Oh, okay. So it it wasn't even on my radar then. Right. I mean, I I just didn't know. 
You were thinking of possible. deodorant and puberty by then, probably as all. Uh, I have no idea what I was thinking about then. <laughs> <laughs> probably food and metal. Middle school is awkward <laughs> for boys. It seems like, yeah, because that would have been that would have been the early '80s for me. Yeah, but yeah, totally. But you'd seen Star Wars at that point, obviously. Oh yeah, and right. like Time Bandits, Superman, Return of the Jedi. Right. Yeah, I remember taking the bus in to see Return of the Jedi with my brother. Theater was like a couple bucks, maybe. Mm-hmm. Like back then in '84. I remember seeing it at Cascade Park Theater. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, and we were in Port Angeles at the time, and they had a pretty good bus system back then. It was a quarter to ride the bus. Oh wow! So times have changed. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's interesting though thinking about like experiences going on a road trip or you know going to a store out in the middle of nowhere. Right. Or to an abandoned mill out in Shalachi Prairie. Right. Yeah, you know, there's <laughs> there's stories all around us. Yeah. If we would pay attention. Right. That's true and you know I love to ask people for permission, right? Mm. To see if we, if we can film there. <laughs> Have you seen the abandoned mill that's down by um it's in the Columbia Gorge. It's down by uh, that town, Bingen. No. There's a mill on the left side that's old. Is it past Hood I think it's River? Willard. Oh, okay. No, it's right before you turn to go to Hood River, actually. Okay. Yeah, a few miles. It's is pretty on, cool. Is it on the Washington side? Yeah, and oh, it's on okay. the left-hand side of the road. Okay. There's some old abandoned buildings like I like, you know, the old houses are dilapidated and all mm-hmm. that, ready to fall down. I'm like, oh, that's a cool area. I'd love to talk to the people, see yeah. if they'd be open to something. But it's right by the highway, so... It's, there's that noise factor too, mm-hmm. but I found in. Have you been through Kent, Oregon before? Do you no, think? Okay. that That's on. Um, it's not on the Dallas Highway. It's past that. You turn off at Biggs Junction, hmm. and start heading south. So you're out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> but that's a little abandoned town with gas pumps and stuff. I'll have to show you some photos. Some oh, cool. We when we were driving back from Bend, uh, we were on. 97 or 197. Yeah, right. And that's and, yeah, uh, one of them is 97 and the bigs yeah. might be 197. Yeah. You drive through Antelope, Oregon yeah. or near Antelope, Oregon. Right. And that's where all that uh, cult stuff went down back yeah. in the day. Right. And, totally. The Rajneesh. Rajneesh. Yeah. And, and I mean, stories everywhere. And yeah, totally. And, and just like, I, I think about Star Wars since we brought it up as like joseph joseph smith hello joseph campbell (laughs) (laughs) different myth (laughs) but like you know hero with a thousand faces right and and just how inspired george lucas was with you know joseph campbell's work and Mm -hmm. and myth making then i'd love to probably get that on i've never read that i'd love to have it on audio yeah it's probably better listened to yeah i know because it's several volumes isn't it yeah Yeah. it's dry too right some of those I do better mm-hmm. with the audio. But I, I've always wondered this one. It's like if given the modern state of the world that we live in, where where are we getting the modern myths that we bring to our work? Right. You know, That's a good question. Not not necessarily the Bible or um, <laughs> the Book of Mormon, <laughs> since I must have mentioned Joseph Smith. But but just that that idea of just like where where are we turning to for these old stories? Right. We still have to go back a ways, I think, on that still at this point. Mm-hmm. When you were in Antelope, did, I think it's a Christian retreat center they turned it into now. I believe Young Life. Yeah. Yeah. They bought it. So, And the funny story is my wife was on the plane with the female that was with him. Oh, wow. 
Yeah, and she was the FBI had her handcuffed and everything. Oh, wow. and Wendy was actually on that flight. I remember that's one of her one of the stories she told me early on. And so that was crazy when all that stuff went down. Mm-hmm. They had poisoned the people with the lettuce and all this yeah, stuff. There's the a big dolls. story. Yeah. yeah, crazy people. But that's a, I love the wide open spaces out there. I've done some exploring out there for mm-hmm. sure. It's like, oh, do we have enough gas to get back to the Dalles? <laughs> <laughs> well, there was a documentary not too long ago. I believe it, Wild Wild Country. Oh, okay. On Netflix, and they did some really eerie drone work uh, in Antelope. Re- oh, cool. Recent stuff where like low low angle flying forward. Oh, nice. Okay, even, a little bit different than the even bird's eye view. Yeah, and it was creepy. Just an insect. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> We're in the cabin, so you never know what's going to fly in. Yeah. I think the bees are gone, though. That's good. They're not going to suck our soul out through our I eyeballs. I felt it was getting a little chilly in here. Did you feel that? No. I was just busy yapping away. Right. Okay. <laughs> Let's continue on with that. Where were we at about? Where are we getting our modern myths yeah, where, from? That's where do true. the modern myths come from? Because everything I'm thinking of is, comes back from uh, like the 70s and stuff or before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same with you too, probably. Some of that older stuff. Of course, that's what my that's what my genre is for sticking in, you know, mm-hmm. watching some of those old horrible movies. Yeah. Well, I I think a lot about like philosophies and yeah and you know right that's old, true old, right old things right as well. How do you how do probably you, because there hasn't been really that many good movies in modern times. Right. They, they were, well, most of the honest. stuff we're pulling from comics. Yeah. That's where our a lot of the modern myths are coming from. I, I know feel. what's killed off the genre of me was is a superhero genre. It's just yeah. like. Ugh, it's just falling flat. There's been so many crappy uh, sequels and things like that that I've just become not even interested in it anymore. Yeah. That was a big one growing up. Yeah, I'm, I'm still wondering what the resurgence will be in film. Yeah. Like, you looked at look at what was huge in the summertime, like Barbie and Oppenheimer. Right. And I and, saw neither of those. And But my daughter loved a Barbie movie, and I'm like, I watched part of it the other night because she was playing it for my mom. Yeah. Or actually, her and Wendy were watching it. And I'm like, oh, that's all green screen, the whole movie, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> almost. It's like, ugh. Yeah. It had that super bright beach look, and I'm like, ugh. They painted, all, they they bought a lot of pink paint, though. <laughs> yeah, they sure did. Yeah, it's just like, ugh. You'd have to hold a gun to my head to make me watch that whole movie through. I, I actually liked it. it was did fun. you really? Yeah. Okay. I liked it because it was different. Right. In terms of story. Um. I actually didn't really care much for Oppenheimer, though. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. That one just looked boring to me. I know who the guy is and all that, but... I think the problem was... Well, this is my problem in most things. If there's a book and I read it first, I'm not going to like the movie. Right. Because they leave out so much. I read the book, and I'm like, oh, they left out so much about him. That's why I'm glad I waited for Lord of the Rings to read the books afterwards. Mm Mm-hmm. Because obviously when I read the books, I'm like, this is a whole different thing I'm reading here. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I love the movies so much. But, but they only scratch the surface. Yeah. It's interesting, though. It's like, okay, so old books like Lord of the Rings. But where's Tolkien getting his stuff? Right. Like, he gets it from the mythology stuff yeah, way back. Way yeah. back when. Yeah. And and, and I wonder if, like, do we... Middle Ages. Is it possible in a modern audience to bring elements of that into horror into any other type of film like would we would be would we be would we believe it right i don't know if we'd believe it anymore cuz i think we're we've become uh jaded yeah 
nothing's true anymore, right? Yeah. That's every, the whole philosophy. Yeah. Everything is relative to my own understanding and mm-hmm. my own view of reality. Right. Like a lot of people that deny history stuff would mm-hmm. are into that. You know, they're totally like, well, how do we know that happened? And then you got right. that whole question, which is a whole other topic to get into that, right? Right. But, but I think that's an, an important part of the discussion. Right. Of, of like, you know, what is real? What is fake? Yeah. You know, what What are we suspending disbelief in in order to go down this road of an experience? Right. Yeah, and I've always thought, even if it's a legend, you know, like the the King Arthur stuff, I love that mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. I really like the uh, Merlin series I did a few years ago. Yeah. Did you ever see The Boy Who Would Be King? No, I've never seen that, that one. That was a fun one, too. That was a modern one, actually. Okay. A couple of years ago. Did you watch Merlin at all? Mm-mm. Okay, they retold it, and then he married, actually... You know, like a black woman became queen, which would have never happened back then. Mm-hmm. But that was really cool, uh, Guinevere. And then uh, just the way they did some twist and turn to make it, and then modernize it a little bit was kind of cool. Yeah. But can then keep some of the story. Because a lot, there's a lot of, what I was going to say, that most of the mythology and stuff is always based on something true that happened. Mm-hmm. You like to think that there's King Arthur, you know, and yeah. that he was a real person and all that. And then there's the, you know, people that, try to prove it and it's like oh, it's so long ago and the supposed <laughs> graves and stuff but it's cool to think about that stuff though right because they stood for you know the right things back then one well, and does it need does it does a person actually need to have existed in order for the story to be valid right exactly and i don't think so at all probably. yeah i mean <laughs> i wish we would have had better records of things back then right this would have been cool like is there is there a story that you wish you had a better record of um the only one I could think of would be the Arthurian mm. legend stuff was is really cool. Would be cool because they can't just uh, you know the people fight over that and they're not <laughs> pulling on the cord. <laughs> I'm just looking. It's gonna burn. Until in I half. tuck it in my pants and walk out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like Arthurian. Yeah, that's the only one I could think of off the top of my head. Yeah. Of course, there's Bigfoot stuff too, but for modern stuff, you know, modern legends. From your perspective, what's the difference between a legend and a myth? I think the legend is more feasible that it could happen, maybe, and maybe mm-hmm. the myth is more supernatural, maybe. Mm-hmm. What do you think on that? I don't know if I might be crazy on that. Well, because then I start classifying. Sometimes things. they cra- yeah. Then they put up. A lot of times <laughs> they lump them together, right? Right. Yeah. Is it a myth, a legend, or an urban legend? Right. And and you know, there's pro- it's probably some weird Venn diagram. That of all of those overlapping, mm. it's like, is this a myth with a god or without a god? Right. <laughs> is this a, a legend with a supernatural bent or, you know, a drug reference bent or, right. you know, what, what, what is the, what is the thing uniting these different areas? Because I wonder if they think of Arth- the Arthur stuff as mythology or um, it's probably not legend. or legend. Yeah. yeah. I think it's more legend than that one. Yeah, because maybe mythology is more about gods, right, and monsters. Yeah, I think of the North Norse mythology mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, I think you're right on that. That's probably more more of the divine type stuff. Yeah, whereas legends maybe are more like um, connected to the earth somehow. Yeah, that's probably a good way to put it. I like both. I know that. Yeah, <laughs> I do too. I remember like Clash of the Titans back in the day. With oh yeah, that's Harry a classic. Hamlin. All the hairy housing. Was that black and white? No, it was oh, color. Oh, that was color. Okay. Yeah. I'm thinking of old ones like um, 
Probably something with a Cyclops in it or something. Yeah, like Jason and the Argonauts. Probably something like that. I think that was another George Lucas influence one. <laughs> yeah. For him. Yeah, there were some classics. We'd have a, a small town I lived in. We'd have like a movie night where we'd watch it on 16 millimeter. Oh, that's fun. School projectors, you know? Yeah. So, and then I would use, I used to uh, rent the projectors from the library and bring home different, uh, whatever the library would have, you know, if it seemed interesting, just rent the projector. And then we had a big garage <laughs> I could set it up in, <laughs> kind of run, awesome. run my own theater. <laughs> yeah. Did you s- charge for admission? Probably. <laughs> Ryan's early age, ages as a entrepreneur. That's right. <laughs> but yeah, I kind of wonder how for legend stuff, you know, and then the whole urban legend thing that I'm into seems to be stuff that's kind of been around for the last hundred years, probably. Okay. I would think some of that stuff. Maybe like what kind of stories? Oh, you've heard like The Vanishing Hitchhiker. Okay. You've heard of that, right? What What is that story for people who don't know it? That's the one, and it's, there's various forms of it, of course. It's been done a ton in movies, but there's always, there's lots of room for new interpretations of it, I think. I think that's where you pick up the original one is kind of where you picked up a mysterious stranger on the road, which nowadays is really stupid. <laughs> right. I remember my parents used to pick up hitchhikers when I was a kid. It's like, really? You want to get, I'll get a slash back then. But then you're kind of worried. And they would just talk to him and then drop him off. And the world was a little, felt safer back in the seventies. Mm-hmm. Um, nowadays you get your head chopped off. <laughs> you're in a ditch somewhere if you pick up a hitchhiker. Anyway, hmm. How much of that is is films and probably and a lot of it is, reality? Yeah, it's probably a lot of people watch The Hitcher too many times. Probably. Exactly. <laughs> Have you ever seen that one? I think I did. Yeah, Rutger Hauer one. Yeah, yeah. Did it, the Blade wasn't Runner C. days. See Thomas Howland one. Yeah, and they did a remake. Yeah, with the guy from Lord of the Rings hmm. that played Boromir, Sean Bean. Yeah. And uh, I didn't see that one. I figured I'd watch The Hitcher, the first one, you know. It's hard to beat the originals a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Anyway, if we go back to the vanishing, they pick up a mysterious hitchhiker, and they, it seems like they give them directions where they need to go, and by the time they get to their destination, they've vanished, it seems like. Mm. I've seen that on that show, Supernatural. They had a version of it, I think, as well. Interesting. That show dealt with a few um, urban legends in the first season, which was kind of cool. Different takes. Yeah. What's it about that story that piques your curiosity um probably what happened you know kind of the story of what happened to that person so they're mm-hmm. dead and don't know that they're dead potentially mm-hmm. kind of thing like that maybe and then they have uh still a job to do that's why they want to be dropped off maybe there's mm-hmm. so many variations of it yeah even books about it for sure so in a way it's not that you see the structure or the outline, you see the possibility yeah, and what the story could be. Right. Yeah. That there's a lot of ways to tell the story that are different than yeah. what's, what's already been done. Hmm. If that makes any sense at all. It does. It's interesting. Yeah. Are, are there, I have another one short film, actually a script for that type of thing. Okay. Yeah. I think it's they pick them up and they're already dead, but they don't know it. The hitchhiker doesn't know it. The hitchhiker's already dead. Yeah. Oh, wow. And he gets picked up in a hearse. <laughs> That's the way I, I changed it from what it was. I thought that would be awesome. It's like, what in the heck? Yeah. So that's probably partly due to my love of phantasm, though. <laughs> the tall right. man in the hearse, you know? But it had a hearse all ready to go. Who's driving? And it had flames on the side. 
I'm thinking that's awesome. Yeah. What's the soundtrack at that point? Yeah, I know. Highway to Hell. Yeah, (laughs) that would be awesome. Get the rights to that song, huh? Yeah, that one, if we ever do that one, we'll definitely work on that one together. If I can get the guy connection still with the hearse with the flames on the side. He's a one-man band is who he is. So he puts all his gear in the back of the hearse. Okay. So I thought that was pretty. He travels around the country in the hearse. Oh, wow. So I thought that was, that's an awesome story right there. I'm always intrigued with people who trick out their cars. Yeah. Like, especially a hearse. Yeah. You ever see that backward clown's car in Astoria? I don't think I have. Just I did this, see the one around here, though, with all yeah. the little sculptures on it. Yeah. Well, it was, it was the Astoria clowns back in the day. Oh, wow. And they had this uh, car, and they basically took the, the, the chassis and rotated the chassis um, so that when you're driving forward, it looks like you're going backwards. Oh, that's got to be a mind. <laughs> that's got to mess with your mind a little bit when you see that going down the road. Exactly. But speaking of towns, that's a good one for, that's got some film potential there. Yeah. I love going there. That's really cool. It's got a cool downtown and a lot of history. Mm-hmm. Probably some darker history too, I would think, with the sa- with the sailing and the prostitutes. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Well, and I think I think too, location or place has a huge impact. Yeah. On the stories that inform, especially by the water. Mm-hmm. Not to get too weird about that, but there's always Why something is that interesting. Weird? That's all. Yeah. It seems like there's whether it's spiritually, you know, there's some darkness maybe there mm-hmm. a little bit. That's what I pick up on. I'm no yeah. claim to be any kind of sensitive person or whatever <laughs> but that's the way i feel when i go there interesting there's another town like that too uh port townsend have you been there before Mm-mm. okay it's up on the olympic peninsula yeah same vibe it's got the old sailor prostitute thing maybe i'm sensitive to prostitutes yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's bad that's a whole different myth yeah that is <laughs> i don't know there's something about it but that story is cool it's got all those houses that are built way way up it's mm-hmm. kind of really interesting a lot of rats mm. speaking of rodents yeah I saw them during the day. There are just a lot of them roaming around looking for stuff during the day. You know, the rat population's high if you <laughs> yeah. see them during the day. Yeah. You're like, oh man, nighttime's got to be brutal. So, is there a story that you wouldn't touch in terms of uh, uh, writing a script? I can't think of anything. There is some urban legend stuff, but I couldn't give you a reference right now. Some just aren't interesting. Hmm. But no, I couldn't think of anything I wouldn't touch, at least with the modern, or, you know, with the modern urban legend stuff. Mm-hmm. Can't think of anything. Unless it was just something I felt like I couldn't speak on, maybe, or something. The way anyone anything about it or something like that. Probably more of the, I think I have to be more sensitive with the real, you know, the real story. There's some books written on the local stuff around here where we live. Yeah. Have you met uh, Jeff Davis before? Mm-mm. Okay. He's a local historian. Okay. He's written a couple of books like Ghost Critters and something else is what it's... I think I have one of the, <laughs> I have the volumes in the house. Ghost Critters. There's something else. Yeah. <laughs> he's also written... Uh, he co-wrote Weird Washington, too. Oh, I have that book. Okay. Yeah. yeah. He's one of the authors of that. Okay. That's so that cool. one's kind of cool about urban legends, too. Yeah. It kind of goes a little more broad than I want to do on stuff, but there's just a lot of opportunities right where you live. I think if anybody that lives anywhere... There's got to be local stuff that's interesting. Yeah. So when when you get an idea, this this has been a delightful roundabout conversation. Yeah, it's going everywhere. It's great though. But like when you get the idea, you collaborate with a writer. You said. Yeah. What's that process like? 
First off, finding a writer that I actually like <laughs> is always a tough one. What what makes someone a good writer to you? I think um, it's not even exactly what's on the page because that's going to change. Because people, that's why they say, I think, never have the writer on set. Yeah. Because you're going to take what they wrote and just like, woo, like we did with the Cabin movie. The gal that wrote it was great. And she did a great job on the script. But we're like, oh, that's, that's not a good line right there. We're going to change this, this mm-hmm. whole scene here. So she probably, she'll know it's her movie, but it's going to look a lot different. Yeah. But I think if the writer, if they listen and understand where you're trying to go with the, the story, I think is important. If they can do that. Mm-hmm. But it's so hard sometimes because they have an idea in their head what they want to do with it. Right. And then it's not not even close to what you're thinking. So what do you, what do, you do when someone, when their vision doesn't align with yours? Do you just you, kick them to a curb? Yeah, you try to... I try to work it out with them, you know, and usually along the way, there'll be questions and answers back and forth. Yeah. You know, do you want to go this way and all that? And I go, oh yeah, I never thought of it that way. So that's usually, I try to do stuff like that if they're open-minded. Yeah. I've had some writers, well, they'll just write it and then say, well, that's, that's all I'm going to do. And then I don't really collaborate until I'm done with the story. And I'm like, well, that's probably not going to work out. Hmm. I've had that happen before. That's weird. It is. Yeah. I had one lady. Actually, don't remember her name, which is good. <laughs> and she was great at first, but then she says, no, I don't collaborate. I, I write it all, and then we discuss it afterwards. Hmm. And I'm like, well, that doesn't seem like that would work out. Because yeah. usually I have a couple ideas I want to make sure they get in the script. And if they don't know what I'm thinking, you know, what I want in it, how are they going <laughs> right. to write a good story yeah. that I want? So, Well, and two, what a, what a myth of the writer. I mean, all the stories about what makes a, a good writer mm-hmm. is like the writer goes off alone. Right. You know, in a drug and alcohol induced rage, <laughs> they, they pen the story immediately. Yeah. And then bring it into existence as opposed to the going back and forth of what it really is. Yeah, exactly. And I like the collaboration on the stories. Mm hmm. Because it can always change it when we film it, right? Exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, it does. I mean, yeah. how much of your scripts have changed on the set? I'd say at least 50%. Yeah. And then some, like the Bigfoot movie, we didn't even write it all. We have 40-some pages. Mm-hmm. And it's an hour and a half movie, so a lot of that's improvisation. Yeah. Which worked out with new actors and things like that. I worked out for the better, more believable, maybe. I'm hoping. We'll know. <laughs> right. Soon. What was writing that script like that one i pretty much it kind of developed along the way in some cases mm-hmm. kind of knew where we were headed but I, i'm sure if i go back look back that'd be a fun one to go look back on the notes yeah because i mean a 40 page script right what what is what does that look like in terms of yeah you know because the traditional view is a, mi- a minute per page yep so you end up with 90 to 120 pages mm-hmm. probably on the shorter end for that one for sure so was it a lot of, like, since there wasn't a lot of dialogue, was it more of, like, scene setting? and? Yeah, there's, believe it or not, there's not as much of that as you would think. Like, mm-hmm. long, not long, you know, establishing shots or anything like that. Yeah. It's still, I'm surprised it's only that long. It's really weird to look at it and realize we end up with about an hour and a half movie <laughs> with the 40-some page. It's like, can we get a copy of the script? Well, it only exists in your mind. <laughs> right. But there is written, there is written stuff. But I think it came up with a lot of 
probably message text messaging and stuff, some of the ideas and how we changed it for sure and what not to put in, what to take out. It would have been even longer, which would have made it made it worse. Yeah. So the um I need to go back through that and see what's in there and what's what I left out and came up with just on the fly. Yeah. That would be interesting. Yeah. That's sometimes like the way the way I like to work sometimes on that. Mm-hmm. Well and because one of the dangerous things I think in terms of filmmaking is the literal interpretation of the word. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes it is the abstract interpretation of a scene that plays better than the alternative. Right. I think for that movie, I w- almost gave it a, there's a little bit of supernatural stuff in it maybe. Mm-hmm. How do you write supernatural? Things? I know. And then the clouds parted and God came down and <laughs> right. destroyed the earth. <laughs> exactly. But I've also think people would think when somebody hasn't had food in a few days, you know, and mm-hmm. stuff like that, maybe the psychological stuff takes over. Mm-hmm. So that could probably would get interpreted that way that yeah. she starts seeing things. Seeing the guy somebody that's already died, you know, and comes back and then he vanishes. Mm-hmm. So she knows she's kind of losing her mind towards the end of the movie kind of thing. Mm. That movie didn't have as much subplot as some films do. It was more just linear. There wasn't really any, there was some flat, there's a couple of flashback scenes, mm-hmm. which I think sometimes are written just to save the edit. Right. <laughs> or go into a montage. <laughs> exactly. So we're guilty of all of that. Oh, totally. For that, and that, and especially in that film. But yeah, that's my way out is we do a, cut to a montage. Yeah. We got a bunch of scenes that were never that felt right. <laughs> we filmed in a cafe and I just didn't like the whole, the way the dialogue went or anything. It was it was written way too long and it just it wasn't believable at all. So I ended up not even shooting. We shot all day at this cafe way out in the, like an hour drive away and I ended up not using it at oh, all. Wow. So, but that happens. With the Cabin movie, the second feature film, we had a full script on that one. So we just changed it along the way. Oh, interesting. So was more dialogue than in the written form? Yeah, and then we eliminated scenes and then added scenes that we thought would be more important. How much of that have you shot? It's all done. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> the funny thing with that, when you shoot one, you're like, I hope it's long enough. <laughs> that's the first thing that comes to mind. Do I have enough footage? Right. Because I'm thinking, that's what I'm thinking right now. I was like, is this film long enough? So we're going to find out shortly. It is interesting, though, that that we, going back to that earlier conversation of we're not tied down by limitations and yet we still keep ourselves limited to what the expectations are. Right. Instead of just letting it be what it is. Right. Like, why not just make, you know, a 76-minute film? Yeah. I think the shortest I've watched recently were just around 80 minutes or so. Yeah, what's wrong with that? Right. Like, we like a 42-minute long episode of a TV show. I feel like if you get past the 70-minute mark, you're probably in feature film land. For sure. Yeah, but who cares? Right. Yeah. Like... It's not like we're in theaters with half this stuff anymore. Exactly. So whatever, however length it is, yeah. There, is, what I like is coming back later on and then adding the scene back in mm. when you're editing. You know, like let's get everybody together again because <laughs> I've got one. I'd like to have you there. Where without giving much away, that you know how they'll. I love the idea of the sun going down and they're carrying this victim away on a mm. stick with a bunch of people that are like cloaked. being tied to the stick. Yeah, and then she's headed off to their ritual thing, maybe. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's a couple of shots like that, and we could actually have a stand in on that and everything. Nice, but I thought I'd love to do that. I know the exact spot I want to shoot that in. Yeah. We just never got to it, but we could during the uh, post. 
be cool to have them all holding like flaming torches. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So I think next spring, you know, during the edit, final edit to get that, mm-hmm. just throw that scene in there too. That's the fun thing about film is you kind of do time travel with it. Yeah. I've shot a scene in Sasquatch where we, it was a year and a half earlier and they walk <laughs> right past this thing and they have to talk and it's, it was a year and a half later, but it was like seamless. I got everybody close on the haircuts. <laughs> That's awesome. And it worked. I forgot even though we reshot it. And it was like, oh, that was great. We needed that part. So that worked. That's that's what I can do for time travel. Yeah. Shoot one scene and then go back a year and a half later and <laughs> it's the right the next cut. If you could work on anything to improve upon in your writing, what would it be? Probably character development. Mm-hmm. What does that look like? To make the characters interesting, like you're rooting for them. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you have to kill them off. <laughs> well, I mean, or you make the the sin of Terrifier where they have interesting characters and they kill them off anyway. Right. <laughs> yeah, I think I really need to work on that to make the people, to make the characters more interesting. What makes them interesting to you? I think if you can relate to them in, mm-hmm. in some ways, even if you've never gone through that experience, mm-hmm. if they're relatable or they're just total, just not interesting people. <laughs> <laughs> I think that comes down to the writing too. Are people really going to care about the character? You know, you've watched enough bad mm-hmm. horror films, right? Where you're like, oh, can they kill this person first? They're just irritating, <laughs> which is probably done on purpose in that case. But right, it's like, oh, that's the first kill. That guy right there won't shut his mouth. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's just the limitations of of us as writers and filmmakers. Too, yeah, exactly. Of I mean, if there's anything that's representative of who we are, it's what we make. Right. And I think the hardest part is probably making a, a villain, mm. a good villain that you can almost kind of relate to. Yeah. And that's might have been where we might have missed. Maybe we can fix the Cabin movie because I haven't edited it all together yet. Mm-hmm. Making the villain almost somebody, almost thinking about Joker and uh, Christopher Nolan's Batman. Mm. That you can almost sympathize with what mm-hmm. they've been through, but not quite cross over to their way of thinking, you know? Or um, Joaquin Phoenix's Joker. Yeah. I didn't enjoy Ooh. that movie as much, but did you? I did. Did you like that one? Yeah. it was. That one was a lot deeper, of course, than the... Yeah. Yeah. The psychological was big on that one. But yeah, for that part, it was interesting. I was thinking at more action, but that one was just brutal. Yeah. So... Yeah, villains are hard because I feel like as a writer, you really have to tap into the evil part of yourself. Right. Your shadow um, self. Your shadow self and being... Because we all have that shadow self. Oh, yeah. Some people just are able to connect with it without it affecting their lives. And other people, I think, are connected to it and they don't give a fuck whether, whether it connects right. <laughs> to their life or not. No, I like to think about that stuff. If yeah. my shadow self is exposing itself too much, it's those deep thoughts you have sometimes, you know. Mm-hmm. I think it's Star Wars, of course, is the ultimate villain with Darth Vader, who ends up being right. redeemed in the end, which is probably, I think that's kind of what you want for a lot of those villains, probably, mm-hmm. but it doesn't always happen that way. Well, it's either redemption or they get, you know, consequences for their actions. Exactly. Yeah, but I think we all want to avoid those. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to Beyond Your Imagination. Head to byi.show for all the links and details for Ryan and myself. If something we said inspired you to turn an idea into a project, or you want to help out on a future project, reach out. 
or better yet, stop on by. Now get the hell out of here before you get lost in the psychological labyrinth that is the cabin. You might just become a character in a future urban legend if you aren't careful.